Okay, how many of you are excited about school starting back? Every parent who doesn't have, is not a teacher is really fired up about it, right? You know, I'm going to be honest with you. When I was y'all's age, I was excited because my father used a great psychological trick on me. He got me the worst, dirtiest, smelliest, hardest jobs working only with men. And after two weeks, I could not wait to go back to school, be in an air conditioner, see girls, and, uh, and for life to be better. And plus, football season started, which was great, too. You know, I remember, and I'm sure it's still the same day, you buy new clothes. You buy new clothes for school? Yes. You just buy new clothes all the time so you have some at school, right? You buy new clothes. How many of you are old enough to remember tough skin jeans? Every year, at least growing up, uh, for probably till about sixth grade, my mom would get me some tough skins. The tough skins came in about 20 flavors. There was blue, there was dark blue, there was burgundy, there was watermelon green. And they were called tough skins for a reason. You could literally drop, drop a chainsaw on them and it would not go through the pants. They were really tough skin. And I wore tough skin huskies. How many of you wore huskies or Greg wore huskies? That was the politically correct way back in the day of saying these are the chubby boy teens, right? And most of those boys end up being offensive linemen or something like that when they grew up. So, but, but, you know, we're talking about the next four weeks getting a fresh start. And in a real way, a new school year is a fresh start. You were in seventh grade last year, you're going to be in eighth. Or you're, you were in seventh grade last year and you're going to be in seventh grade again this year. You know, it's still a fresh start, isn't it? Right? Failure humor is not accepted, I guess. But we're going to look in the Bible for four weeks And we're going to look at four ways over these next weeks that if you and I will do these things in our life, that we can truly start again and get a fresh start. This morning, we're talking about letting some things go. And I was asked to sing the song, Let It Go. Uh, I might at the end, depends on how well y'all listen. But I want to begin with this. I'm going to use several different scriptures so you can follow along in the Bible or on the screen. But the first thing I want to tell you, if you're going to get a fresh start this morning, you got to let go of the past. you got to let go of the past. In Philippians chapter 3, there's a great section in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 through 14, where the great Paul, God speaking through Paul, says these words, Not that I've already obtained the, all this, or that I've been made perfect. Paul was saying, listen, I'm, what he's fixing to tell us, he says, I'm striving for these things. I, I haven't reached this. Now, this is an older, mature man at this point. But I press on to take hold of that for which Jesus Christ took hold of me. Brothers, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. Remember, this side of heaven, perfection is not possible. We're talking about direction. We're wanting to be moving in the right direction. He says, I, I haven't obtained this, but one thing I do, I forget what's behind. I forget what's behind. I'm putting behind me what's behind me, and I strain. That's the picture of an athlete stretching to reach the tape for what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heaven word in Christ Jesus. Again, this is an older man. He's mature. And he's saying, I realize that I have got to keep the past in the right place, whether I'm 12 years old, 42 years old, or 82 years old. And my life has to be about moving forward and progress in the right direction, or I'm never going to get a new start. Let me tell you two areas of your past you got to let go. Number one, you got to let go of the bad past. 
You got to let go of your bad past. I'm going to talk more later in the sermon about sin and, and forgiveness. This would apply some here, certainly. But Paul had a bad past. Paul had a lot of things that he could look back on and that weren't good. Paul was a murderer. Paul was an accomplice to murder. Paul spent his early years as a young man trying to destroy the church, trying to destroy Christians, trying to arrest Christians. This was 30 years later, and I guarantee you those thoughts still came in his mind. I won't ask you to raise your hand, but I know many of you thoughts still come in your mind about things that happened last year, five years ago, or ten years ago, mistakes you made, sins you committed. And certainly there were people who were always gracious enough to Paul to bring these things up when he would be teaching in a church or he would be sharing Christ and, you know, the whispers of murderer. Uh, you know, who are you to be talking to us about Jesus? But Paul said, I know I have got to move past the bad things, the mistakes, the goof-ups in my life if I'm going to get a fresh start and life is going to be good. So do you and I. Psychologists talk about a, an amnesia called psychogenic amnesia. Psychogenic amnesia happens when a person experiences such a traumatic event that basically, it, it just I, I guess it's the way God protects them, it just disappears from their mind. And they can't remember anything about it without the help of hypnosis or sometimes with time it comes back. Most of us don't suffer from psychogenic amnesia. We suffer from just the opposite. Those things are always in our mind. We ruminate on them, we dwell on them, or someone else again brings them to our mind. Or we live in the what ifs and if onlys. If, if I hadn't quit school or, or if I would have continued my education in this area, maybe today I'd be a CPA or maybe I would have gone to law school and been a, a lawyer. And Don't look at your spouse. Some of you go, boy, if I'd have just married that other person, how differently life might have been if I'd have pursued that other career. I want to tell you, the, the past, you need to learn from it. You need to figure out what you did wrong so you won't do it in the future, but you've got to let it go. It's like having a cut on your arm or on your leg. If you don't treat that cut properly, it'll get infected, and then that infection can turn into something that could take your life. You need to clean it up. You need to get medicine. You may need to go to a professional to get help, but eventually that wound will get well. And you know what? You may have a scar. Sometimes a scar is not a bad thing because it does remind us of what happened in the past to keep us looking forward for the days ahead. I want to challenge you this morning. Let go of the mistakes and the goof-ups in your past. Let them go. Let them go. Now, here's the second thing where some of you are stuck. You've got to let go of your good past, too. You can't live in the good past. Paul had a good past by this time. Paul, as a Jewish person, had a great lineage, and that was important to Jewish people. He was a, a, probably had the equivalent of two doctor's degrees. He was very well educated. He was a Pharisee. By this time, he was accomplished as a writer, as a church starter, as a missionary, very accomplished in his field. And how easy it would have been for Paul to live out the rest of his life in the good old days. But Paul didn't do that. Paul said, listen, here's what I do. I put the past behind me. I'm sure he enjoyed the good memories. He enjoyed talking about them and celebrating them. But he said, I put the past behind me, and I'm straining forward to what's ahead. Listen, some of you are living in the good old days, and part of that, it's just a fantasy. Things weren't as good as you believed they were. 
and, 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 and they probably weren't near as bad as you thought they were. Well, a lot of times what happens is, especially with the good things, is we tend to divorce all the pain and the trauma during that period. And all we can think about, oh, how good it was back then. Well, it may have been pretty good. Celebrate it, learn from it, but move forward. You cannot go through life looking at the rearview mirror all the time. Correct? Try this sometime when you're by yourself on a logging road and no one else is around. Just start driving down the road with, and just keep your eyes on the rearview mirror. Just make sure you drive real slow because you're going to crash pretty quick. You can't do it. You use the rearview mirror. But you don't keep your eyes in that. Let go of the good past. Let go of the bad past. Folks, the great news is, is the future is where your hope is. Isn't that good? You can't go back. You can't undo it. You can't go back and relive the victory or you can't go back and feel the pain of that hurt and undo it. Hope is in the future. I want to read to you a quote by a great Christian leader of, of yesteryears, a guy named F.B. Meyer. Listen to what he says. He says, it is a mistake to always be turning back to recover the past. The law for Christian living is not backwards but forwards. You get that? If you're a Christian, the law of life is forwards, not backwards. Not for experiences that lie behind, but for doing the will of God, which is always, doing the will of God, which is always ahead and beckoning us to follow. Leave the things that are behind and reach forward to those that are before. For on each new height to which you obtain, there are appropriate joys that will befit the new experience. Don't fret because the joys of life seem to have fled. There are many more in front. Look up. Press forward. The best is yet to come. Man, listen, if you're 12 years old, you're 8 years old, you're 48 years old, if you want to have a fresh start today, you want to have a fresh start this year, let the past go and move forward. Here's the second thing. You've got to let go of bitterness. You've got to let go of your bitterness. Now, I know I always say this, that this doesn't apply to anyone in this room, but you have people you know who are bitter, right? Correct? So listen for them. Of course, not for you. In Ephesians chapter 4, there's two powerful verses. Verse 31 says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Leave that there, please, Brian, for just a minute or two. If you're taking notes, the word bitter is a bad word. It means sour, resentful. It's uh, the spirit who broods, meditates over how they've been hurt. The philosopher Aristotle says, this is the person that's hard to be reconciled. Doesn't seem no matter what you do, you make it right with them. You know people who have jerkitis, and that is what that is. It's that settled state of being hurt and resentful. They wake up bitter, and they're happy that they're bitter. Someone says, this is the person with the scowl on their brow. Amen? You know that person. Now, the rest of verse 31, I believe everything flows from bitterness. Look what he says. Get rid of all bitterness. Rage is the hothead. It's the, it's the person with a fiery temper. Anger is that person, obviously that bitter person that's just 
hangs on. It's just mad all the time. Brawling, that may mean a fist fight, but that's also the person who might never fight you, but the person that's, oh, man, you get in an argument with you, they will go off on you. They're going to tell you like it is and straighten you out. And then slander, that person, and these just flow when the bitter person, the slanderous person wants to destroy your character. You want to undermine your business, your reputation, your name. And then it says of every form of malice, malice is just, man, that's just a heart to do evil. And these come from bitterness. This comes from a sour person. Who are you bitter towards today? Maybe it's God. We need more time than I can share with you this morning, but if you're bitter towards God, let it go. I promise you, you are misunderstanding God. God has not let you down. You may need to see Brandon. You may need to see me. You may need to see whoever to work through that. God's not let you down. Don't be bitter at him. Keep talking to him. You're bitter towards other people. Some of you, quite frankly, you have no reason to be bitter. You are just bitter. And if you would listen to people, you'd realize that you probably don't have any reason to be bitter. You're just being childish. Others of you, you really have been hurt by people. And by the way, all of us, if you live long enough, you will be. What do you do? God says you let that go. Verse 32. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other as Christ and God forgave you. Forgiveness is really not about the other person. It's really not ultimately for them. It's for you. You ever thought about that? Forgiveness ultimately is for you. It's not for the other person. You see, you see, if I'm bitter at you and I'm mad at you, and most of the time, you know, especially if you're an adult, even when you're, when you're older, an older youth, you, you don't usually physically attack people. So you just stay bitter, you slander them when you get an opportunity. But, but being bitter is like drinking the poison and hoping they die. <laughs> I'm going to drink the poison and I hope you die. It doesn't work that way, by the way. What does forgiveness mean? You see, here's, here's the reason forgiveness is hard. Because we think forgiveness means that you've got to go be buddies again. That's not what forgiveness means. Forgiveness means that I'm going to make a decision not to strike back. Forgiveness means to your face, I'm going to be nice. It means behind your back, I'm going to be nice. It means in my heart, I'm going to let it go. Reconciliation takes two. What reconciliation means, and that's God's ultimate goal, but you can't reconcile with someone who won't reconcile with you, correct? There's some people, listen, who are not your friends. That is a brutal lesson that it took me a long time to learn. And it doesn't matter how kind you are, good you are, they are not your friends. And there's some people maybe you dated, you do not need, forgive them, but don't ever date them again. And maybe you were married to somebody and, and, and you, you're out of it now because they cheated on you repeatedly or they were abusive. Forgive them, but get away from them. You had a business deal with people and they, they cheat you, they do you wrong. Forgive them, but don't do business reconciliation takes two forgiveness means you're making a choice to let it go it means you're making a choice 
to let it go. You know, it says in the very first part of verse 31, go back to that, Brian, if you can, get rid of. That's literally the picture of picking something up and taking it out. And here we're talking about garbage. We're talking about bitterness. Listen, if you do this experiment this week, I guarantee you'll, you'll know I'm telling you the truth. Get the nastiest garbage you can in a bag this week and just leave it in the kitchen open. I guarantee you, after a few days, somebody is going to carry that out. That's what God's saying here. Take the gar- get this garbage out of your life. Here's a verse that will comfort you. Romans 12, 19. Do not take revenge, dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Isn't that good? All right, I want you to repeat this with me. Y'all ready? Repeat after me. I will let God get them. Wasn't that, now think about it. Isn't that good? Let's say it again. I really mean it. I will let God get them. Get them, God. I've had people ask me honestly, when is God going to get them? I don't know. I, he, does not, he does not tell me. He, you know, he does not tell me. Norman wants to know, God, when are you going to get them? I don't know, Norman. But, but he will, right? God will get them. Let it go. Hey, you can't drag that junk around. Let it go. Here's the, the last thing this morning. You've got to let go of your guilt. You've got to let go of your guilt. Psalms 32, the 32nd Psalm, tremendous passage on forgiveness. At the title of this psalm, it says it's a psalm of David. It says it's a mass scale. A mass scale, there's 150 psalms and 13 have that title. And the word mass scale means instructive or contemplative. Now, all the, the Bible is instructive, but it's like that these 13 psalms have a special touch that God wants us to get. Here's the context before I read it. King David, God used David to write these words. David had just committed adultery with one of his good friend's wives. She got pregnant. He went to the man, he confessed his sin, they made it right. No. (laughs) He had the man killed. And then he marries this woman. And God eventually slaps him upside the head hard. Listen to verse 3 and 4. It says, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Through my groaning all day long, for night and day your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of the summer. Now here's a way you can tell you're a Christian. When you're a Christian, you're going to sin. But you're not comfortable in your sin. God convicts you of your sin. If you're here today and you can do whatever you want to do and you've lived like you've always wanted to live and it never bothers you, seriously, you need to give your life to Christ this morning. David is speaking as a guy who has a relationship with God who's messed up with God. And if you've ever experienced this, you know it's true. William Shakespeare said a a, a mindful of guilt is like having a mindful of scorpions. It just wears you out. Thank God the story doesn't end here. In verse 5, he says, Then... After a long period of time, I acknowledged my sin. I made known to God my sin, my guilt, and my missing the mark. I didn't cover it up, try to conceal or, or hide. And that word iniquity means my perversion. 
I said, I will confess, God, I'm going to own it. And I'm going to confess it to you, my transgressions, my revolt against you. And you forgave me. You took off and you lifted away the burden and the guilt of my sin. You forgave me. Verse 1 through and 2, it's almost like they should have been farther in the chapter, in my opinion. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, lifted up, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him. That, that's literally an accounting term. It, it'd be like today, if you owe the bank some money and you were to go to the bank tomorrow to pay your house note or whatever it is, and you got there and they go, hey, well, we're looking at our records. You don't owe us anything. How many of you, that would be good news? <laughs> Only to normal people and people who have debt. So that's what God's saying. God's saying, when you confess your sins, when you come to me, you're carrying all this junk. But God says, I look at my ledger, you owe me nothing. It's clean. It's fresh. Folks, Billy Graham made this great statement years ago. He said, you cannot unscrambled scrambled eggs. Isn't that a good-looking picture? The older you get, that is good-looking, isn't it, I guess? That's a... That's pretty. I always tell my wife, if she'd rub that around her ears at night, I'd snuggle up next to her. Honey, you smell like eggs. We're getting into some of my deeper issues, aren't we? (laughs) You you can't unscramble scrambled eggs. You can't say, oops, I didn't want them like that. Let's put them back in the egg. And and you you, you can't go back and undo your sins but what you do is you go to God you confess them to God you say God I want to repent of them and I ask for your for your forgiveness and if you can go to people you've hurt and ask them to forgive you whether they do or not you've done your part and God listen God forgives every time and you don't have to carry around the junk of your life anymore isn't that good This week in Sports Illustrated magazine, I don't think I was reading this on company time. I may have been, but but it applies to the sermon, so it'll fit. There was was an article uh, about the Seattle Seahawks and Pete Carroll, their football coach. And if you remember, the Seahawks played the Patriots in the Super Bowl on February the 1st last year. They were down 28 to 24, four points, with about 20, 25 seconds left in the game. The Seahawks got the ball to the one-yard line. Let me preface this by saying I was for the Seahawks, okay? They get the ball to the one-yard line. They got three downs. They have one timeout, and they've got a great running back. I mean, just call, they should have stopped the game right then and just give the trophy to the Seahawks, correct? Well, they didn't. I want to show you, in case you missed this, and many of you have seen this, to remind you of what happened as the Seahawks were certainly going to win the ball game. Play clock at five. Pass is intercepted at the goal line by Malcolm Butler. Unreal. Malcolm Butler, who almost made... The phenomenal play, 
that wound up in Percy's arms. There are flags on the field for a celebration. Amazing. Butler eight. The guy chewing the gum there like a maniac was Pete Carroll, the head coach. The guy ultimately responsible for what happened. And the article in Sports Illustrated, they asked him, Pete, tell us about how all that ended. Now, the Super Bowl is the biggest one sporting event in America every year. It's for the, if you don't know, the championship of the National Football League. It's the Football League's biggest game. Here's what he said. He said, it has hurt me deeper and more than I could ever express. He said, I have grieved over this more than I can tell you. But he said, I'm also going to tell you this. I've learned from it. And we're letting it go. And if it's going to do anything for us this next year, it's going to make us better. I don't know anything about Pete Carroll's relationship with God. But I know this. That's one of the reasons he's super successful. Because he can own it. And then he can say, this I'm going to learn from, and all I'm going to do with it now is let it make me better. Hey, some of you today need to make that choice. You need to let the past go. You need to let your bitterness go. You need to let your guilt go. And the only person who can make that decision now is you. You may say today, well, I've done this a hundred times. You're going to need to do it a hundred more before the year's over probably. But do it this morning for a fresh start. Let's pray. If you're a Christian today, God's given us a lot to chew on. And I pray that you're chewing on it and that you'll respond as you need to. If you're not a Christian, I want to challenge you where you're seated to pray with me. If you're ready to do this and just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I want to repent of my sins. I believe you're God's son and that you died for me. Come into my heart, Jesus. And today I surrender my life to you. Let me have your attention. We're going to stand in just a minute. And I want to challenge you to respond to Jesus. Maybe you just prayed today and asked Christ in your heart. Or maybe you're ready to do that. Would you come this morning? Would you come this morning and cross that line with Jesus? Maybe you're here today and you'd like to join our church family. We would love for you to do that. And one way you can do that today is when we stand, you come. We'll be down here waiting on you. We would love for you to. This morning as a Christian, where you're standing or at the altar, maybe you want to come and get on your knees or pray with a minister. And you need to say to God, God, with your help, I'm repenting. I'm going to learn from it. But God, I want to let it go. And I want to leave this room this morning with a fresh start. It's yours if you'll do that. Let's stand as God leads.